0: hello and welcome back to take 97 a film podcast with me your host david ingram on today's episode i should be talking you through the love of film and more specifically cinematography and just generally talking you through a few films that i think if you're listening to this for the first time and that you want to get a start in film or get into studying it or just being interested in general um, i'm going to talk to you about some of my top rated films that i recommend for their cinematography uh, and just general cinematography based moments so and what it means and everything like that Uh, but first of all before we continue uh, I'm just going to start off with a little bit of a reminder obviously continue to like and share all of our content with your friends and listening to the podcast as you do obviously keep an eye on our social medias follow us on the take 97 podcast twitter and instagram pages so you can stay up to date with all the latest news and also just get involved with any podcast polls or questions or opinions any discussions that we might have on there and we look forward to hearing from you on all of those and before we continue on guys for this episode of cinematography i'll just let you in on some news about actual films that are coming out Uh, so uh, on netflix as it stands now uh, the David Fincher film *Mank* is now out, and that's based around how the film *Citizen Kane* came to being and how it came to be written uh, by its writer, who was nicknamed *Mank*, name of the film. And obviously, David Fincher hasn't produced anything in quite a long time, uh, or a longish time, anyway, for a, by director's standards. Uh, so this looks like it could be one of his masterpieces. It's set in the golden age of Hollywood, obviously. It's about the awesome how the awesome Wells film Citizen Kane came to be, and the way I've read up stuff on it, and it looks genuinely delightful. It's in terms of cinematography, actually. You know, it's a digital film. It's a film shot on digital, but it's been made to look as if it's been left in a cupboard in a vault of one of the old studios for God knows how long, uh, and it's got all like film grain and little ticks and spots on the soundtrack and on the actual picture itself. Uh, it's black and white as well. So, and it's looking at Hollywood's golden age. Once again, I love re- retrospective pieces that look at classic ages gone by and you know present them anew and with a fresh eye, shall we say, but also with a sense of nostalgia to them. Uh, that's out now on Netflix straight away. You can stream that straight away now. I'm going to probably do a review of that at some point in the not too near distant future into the new year because it looks fantastic. Uh, other news for you, obviously, with the recent news on HBO Max's Plan to with Warner Brothers to release all of their uh, 2021 slate on the streaming service HBO Max. It's good for the US, not so much good for us in the UK. Obviously, we'll still be getting cinema releases, but in reference to that, Wonder Woman 1984 is finally making its way back to cinemas in December. So as of the recording of this episode, and that's the sequel to the original uh, Wonder Woman as part of the DC Extended Universe. Uh, featuring Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman herself and it's just this one I mean I didn't mind the first one but this one because it's got that 80s setting and it's bright and colorful it looks kind of more marvelous if that makes sense but I look forward to that. And then on top of that, obviously, there's recent, in other movie news, there's the whole uh, potential recasting, the recasting issues with uh, Johnny Depp's character, Gellert Grindelwald, in the Fantastic Beast film, uh, in the third Fantastic Beast film that should hopefully be coming back out uh, in 2021, possibly later into 2022, uh, as it has resumed production in some form. But Like we say, Johnny Depp has been replaced. I I believe it's Mads Mikkelsen has been was touted to play new Gellert Grindelwald, and you know we'll see what happens in the future with that franchise. I know it's losing a lot of popularity as the days gone by because of certain issues that have been going on in the news and the media. But I just I'm interested to see because although in Harry Potter they couldn't help the recasting of Dumbledore, I do feel that, you know, this one's a bit different and we'll have to keep an eye on it. But that's my bit of movie news for you guys before we go on to the actual centre of the podcast. So I'm going to just quickly rattle off a couple of films that I recommend to you uh, for really great cinematography. Uh, and I'll list them here now. So I've got Bad Times of the El Royale, Drew Goddard film, brilliant films, quite a recent-ish release within the past couple of years. Uh, it's got some lovely, lovely cinematography Uh, based images you know images that have been created through great craft through the cinematography Uh, Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick and also the likes of other classics from the cinema age but I'll be going through those later as we get through going through the podcast and uh, so first of all I'd just like to start off with anyone who doesn't know what that is what cinematography is cinematography is you know it, it's based on the camera movement the lighting uh, you know shadows light and dark everything all combined together the overall how we construct an image how the camera uh, creates this story that we're watching visually so how, how the visual storytelling comes into play is all because of the cinematographic if that's even a word, skill that is produced by the director of photography, who is a member of the production team who works very closely with the director, who essentially helps visualize what the director wants on the screen. So the director will you know, have all four thought, thoughts, feelings and everything in between, you know, how he or she feels about the film and what direction it should go in in terms of character motivation thematically and you know overall what the finished product should look like the dop as a as they are shortly in short abbreviation for them is uh, the director of photography is basically there to assist the director in uh, more of a capacity than the assistant director would uh the assistant director is essentially like like the next per- best person to the director but you know does a lot of leg work but the dop does a lot of the technical work in terms of the Uh, how the shots come to fruition on the screen and a lot of that you know that involves planning how you know lights will be positioned so that we get the prime optimum lighting so for instance in a film like Bad Times of the El Royale uh, it's very there's a lot of a lot of it majority of the film is set at nighttime. Uh, there's only a few daytime scenes but a lot of it is taken over the course of like a night one single night and it's very much you know it's very dark and shady and the only light that you get is like artificial lights from the hotel itself in the because bad times the air royale is a film set in a hotel uh, in a little motel in on the border between california and nevada and it's just it's a crime thriller It's neo-noir it's a brilliant film I highly recommend you watch it. it's it got Jeff Bridges in it uh, Chris Hemsworth as well I, and I would say it's just genuinely a great watch uh, Cynthia Enviro's in it as well she does a brilliant job in some amazing live singing which I should go to in a review sometime in the future but in terms of the cinematography the camera movements are very fluid they're very slow uh, you don't know the it's very unpredictable in terms of people's motivations so we have Uh, Undercover detective uh, who pretends to be a travelling salesman. You know his motives are very hidden and secret to the rest of the cast, but the cinematography actually reflects that that very secretive nature that everyone has, and the unexpected anticipation that you get when you watch the film. So you know you've got this Charles Manson figure esque figure in the form of Chris Hemsworth, who comes along and basically rules the entire third act. So to speak, and you know the unpredictability of what he's going to do. He's quite a chill guy. He's part of a group of hippies, and you know because it's set in the nineteen end of the nineteen sixties, beginning of the nineteen seventies. It's very much a you know what's he going to do? Is he going to pull the trigger on the situation? Is he going to just be really calm about it? You don't know, and the cinematography is reflects that. So the movement of the cameras is quite slow and sweeping, and then at some points you get moments when the when the characters just go like that, and they just boom, hit you like that, because you never know what's going to happen. And that's the nature of a thriller film. It's got to keep you on your toes. So the slow paces of the camera are then contrasted with something that might happen very quickly. So for instance, there is a scene in which we're just shot, uh, a scene, the head and shoulders, uh, so a medium close-up of Cynthia Enviro's character with Jeff Bridges and they're together talking it's very slow It just it cuts between back and forth a standard shot back the reverse shot style conversation where you see their face you see the other person's face but then all of a sudden bam she knocks him out and then all the pace of the film picks up from there obviously we do then go to another part of the story but when we come back to that moment we're kind of suspended in this belief that you know we're shown the point of view of Jeff Bridges when we pick up from his point of the story uh, we're very slow and groggy um, but as soon as he starts to wake up and his wits become more you know sharper now he's regained consciousness we also see a pickup in the speed of the camera movement and like I said lighting is very important because, uh, as part of cinematography skill and the skills of, required of a director of photography and you know lighting cannot be overstated because in the dark you want to see what's going on even if you can't the idea is that you're meant to be in a dark wood you still want to see a little bit of something it's what kind of annoys me a little bit about some films is the cinematography can be so dark you can't see anything you might as well just not be watching the film you might as well just be listening to an audio drama rather than a piece of cinema watching a piece of cinema uh, but for bad times of the el Royale, it has the giant neon sign of the el royale motel, hotel, whatever. <laughs> and it's uh, it shines out through the rain. And a film that I'd like to sort of bring in a comparison with is Blade Runner. And also Blade Runner 2049. So the original Blade Runner came out in 1982, the Ridley Scott classic, featuring Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard. It's another noirish film. Uh, so you can tell I love noir, as I've said already on this podcast before. But... I do feel there's a nice strong connection between when you see rain in a scene and obviously a lot of rain is artificial it's never intended to be on screen unless it's you know there for a reason and it for Blade Runner it very much is you know that final line which was improvised tears in the rain uh, by Roy Batty at the end of the film it very you know it solidifies the world and you know he's taking notice of the world and there's a whole analysis you can do of that final speech that he makes but i would say that rain and light go hand in hand and you know it makes a a film that's really gritty extra effective and even more it's kind of the mood the tone of the film is down uh, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's there's a joke around on you know, you can see loads of jokes saying the light at the end of the tunnel, it's Darth Vader at the, at the end <laughs> with his bright red lightsaber and in some respects, you know, Bad Times of the Ariel and Blade Runner present that irony that, you know, life is, is depressing and miserable with this rain in, you know, in the future in Los Angeles or in this sort of 1960s, 70s uh, motel on the border between California and Nevada and the sense of occasion then, shall we say, you know, the the light symbolizes something much deeper in the sense that you've got uh, corruption, pain, passion and optimism all wrapped into one. And I feel like, you know, th- that's just a little bit of me doing a bit of my own analysis on the film of Bad Times of the Air Royale and also Blade Runner. You know, you can look into so much detail about things. Obviously, lots of people probably just turn around and say, well, they just did that to make it look good. Um, Yeah, directors probably do that, but most of the time a director does have a keen idea of what they want from a visual point of view and the color palette, and, and that includes the lighting as well, whether it's really bright and it pops from the screen or whether it's really dark and murky can really affect the mood of the film. Uh, and like I said, pacing of the camera movement can make you feel excited or on edge and others can make you feel relaxed. But then when things pick up and something dramatic happens in an instant, then you'll be introduced to, you know, the the tonal shift will be in, immense and it'll then keep you more engaged. That's probably the true sign of good cinema, uh, in my opinion. And they do that in bad times at the El Royale. Uh, and they do it in Blade Runner, certainly, because obviously the nature of Blade Runner is Rick Deckard. He's Harrison Ford's character. He's on the hunt for replicants. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, obviously go and watch it. But he's on the hunt for these robot replicant humanoids. And you get that relaxed sensation when he's at home and he's you know trying to figure out what to do and how to find these replicants. But at the same time, you get this feeling of overwhelming in terms of its overall motion, emotions in the narrative arc that were being presented. So for instance, in Bad Times of the Air Royale, we get rain and we see the neon light shining through this harsh, sharp rain and you know the dread and th- the fear that is produced in these replicants who them themselves believe that they have a right to be alive. And the whole robot human debate continues to soar on. And the general feeling, really, I think, in Blade Runner, is that cinematography is dark and murky, and it makes the future to be uh, really a really depressing place. Really, I mean, it's based on the Philip K. Dick book, uh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's a dystopian novel. It's a dystopian film, but at the same time, you you know, you get very human emotions that are produced at the end of it because of the way the pacing is done through camera movements. So whether it's really slow or really fast paced, if we're on a tracking shot where we're say someone's, the camera is following someone down a corridor, which they do a lot in a lot of standard Kubrick films, particularly The Shining. Uh, and that can be used to create tension or escalate uh, the pulse rate of you if you're a bit like, oh, what's going on? Uh, but at the same time that it can really just be there for tension, mostly tension building, I would say, uh, in terms of the camera movement, uh, unless you're just going for a, like a comedy in which the it's down to the editing. That's the true key of how funny uh, a comedy it becomes or a romance film becomes romantic and how it swells in the m- movement up to the crescendo of the music, which is the accompaniment of everything that we talk about in this podcast, the collaboration between sound and image together. Uh, and in terms of the image, I, I like to see. The cinematographer's job as painting a picture painting a picture of the film in the best possible way visually a, a visual masterpiece and uh, like i said i just mentioned stanley kubrick the attention to detail that is paid uh, obviously stanley kubrick isn't his own uh, dop no one is their own director of photography. Uh, they always have someone that works closely with them. I, I know Laszlo Kovacs is a man who works a lot with Martin Scorsese, uh, who obviously if you guys tuned into the Goodfellas episode of the podcast, you know, Laszlo Kovacs, um, he didn't work on that one, but he worked on New York, New York. And I, you know, there's certain styles that certain directors of photographies have. Uh, so Bob Richardson, who works with Tarantino a lot, because Tarantino, uh, likes to work on film a lot and bob richardson truly relishes to shoot on film now this sort of brings me to my next sort of talking point where if you some people will be just familiar with films that are shot on digital a lot of people will think oh they watch a digital copy or they stream it they're young and they haven't really done much research you might just think oh oh everything's digital it's all recorded you know yes there's a digital copy but a lot of films particularly from the 20th century uh, and previous, they are all shot on celluloid uh, film, which has all had to be developed using chemicals. And you know over the years has had to have major restoration, which is why we have things like Blu-ray and 4K Ultra copies, which is, means you're able to stream them in such high quality on your TVs and streaming services for Netflix, Amazon Prime and HBO Max and the likes of that. But there's truly a magic about using film from a cinematographer's point of view. I i am not a cinematographer, but in terms of what I look for when I look at films, the way a shot, the light seeps into a into the frame, the way the camera moves—if it's so fluid and easygoing—and it, yeah, obviously it fits the bill for the film. I truly think that's the magic of cinematography that in a film like Stanley Kubrick's uh, The Shining, the cinematography, a lot of that's reliant on the movement of the camera. Yes, lighting is a good, important factor to sort of create that creepy atmosphere, especially in the end of that film in the maze, in the snow filled maze from The Shining. But I do feel that, you know, obviously even the brightest scenes. So when Danny's going around the hotel and he's being followed by the camera, very quickly paced on what's known as a steady cam operating system so it you can run around and follow someone with a camera on this little rig of such that you can follow at great speed so it's quite fluid but at the same time it doesn't shake like you're doing a found footage film like Blair Witch Project and the film benefits from you know you have bright scenes like that it's so bright and colorful but then when something unexpected happens because of something that happens in camera like the grady twins coming in you get a bit of a surprise and that's done through the way the camera is positioned and the way it's framed so if you had a really wide shot from above and you could see the grady twins there before danny goes around the corner yeah that would create a different feeling for the film because ultimately we the audience would be able to see the danger Danny is going into as he rides around the hotel floor but from a dramatic point of view as well it also wouldn't be very good for the audience because of the fact that you want to experience and the idea behind that scene in the shining is you've got to experience the film as it was it you know through the point of view of Danny so you're going along the journey with him throughout the entire hotel you don't get any sneak previews you get Fully experience straight away as you meet the girls down the hallway and you don't see it coming and that's what makes horror cinematography and horror quite good you know in the sense that when it's unpredictable camera movements or even in thrillers like bad times of the air royale when you don't see something coming or the camera does something different and it's a bit off but then all of a sudden it becomes clear why that was happening that's the genius of it and like i said the the importance of shooting on film it adds that nice soft grain, that grain to it, that softness. Um, I know, particularly, I can't remember off the top of my head, I want to say that it is shot on film. It's one of my favourite films, but uh, so I should know this, but uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. It has some lovely, really lovely moments where everything's quite soft focus. I want to say it is shot on film, actually, because there are dailies on the, on the copy that I've got at home. Uh, and you only get dailies, which are like the pieces of footage you see before uh, you put them together like the initial camera negatives after they've been developed uh, but Perks of Being a Wallflower is so beautifully shot it's a drama so compared to something like uh, Star Trek or Super 8 or any of the Star Wars films that J.J. Abrams has directed where he has to have that little annoying lens flare in all the time uh, and you just get that sense of oh <laughs> oh something spacey's happening it's a J.J. It's a Abrams film At the end of the day, I love the most simple cinematography and that's, you know, I think romance films are the best way or coming of age dramas are the best ones to showcase that. And in Perks of Being a Wallflower, there's a beautiful scene in which Charlie, played by Logan Lerman and Emma Watson, uh, who plays Sam, uh, I think it's towards the end of the film, actually, they're sort of coming together, opening up to each other. Uh, and actually they just you know they share a first kiss and you know it's quite romantic it's just teenage stuff you know coming of age but i would say it's made even more beautiful by the way it's shot and there's these fairy lights in the background i mentioned something similar to this on the goodfellas episode which is done in the club copacabana uh, and a couple of the other nightclub scenes it's like twinkly Bright coloured fairy lights in the background. In Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think they're just sort of like a bright, warm orange colour. Uh, but they're in the background of the scene, and a lot of films these days make the mistake of shooting everything with very, you know, everything's quite flat in a way. There's no, well, not flat, but quite. There's no depth to the the shot. Like they like to focus too much on the depth. But when you create depth of so much stature that you have all the details in the background and you could flatten it together, that it could all be one scene. It doesn't really come across as very well. So, for instance, if you want to pick up every single detail, like in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, you can look down the hotel corridors and everything will be in focus. And that's because the nature of it, you want everything to be there for the audience to see. Uh, And the same can go for a lot of 21st century uh, films that are made and produced these days uh, but i do feel it's only used for like hero shots for superhero films these days when you get that big close-up and everything else around them is all blurry but i feel sometimes in things like the perks of a wallflower so in this scene with charlie and sam everything else around them is blurry and it makes everything seem very dreamlike and like they're in a fantasy just for that moment as they're talking together uh, together in her room nothing else matters just the conversation between them and that kind of that is really heartwarming to me when you you see them there in focus uh you know the focus is on them and you think oh everything else is blurry but it's not an unpleasant image to watch because because of the way it's been lit and you and the way it's shot although it's all static in terms of camera movement you've got a lovely uh background uh, which is all fuzzy but also warm and orangey, so nice bright fairy lights in Sam's room, enhances that romantic uh, dreamlike fantasy feel that you get from this, like you're taking a step out of all the troubles that these teenagers have faced into a world with just them two. And it's only them as two individuals together that really matters in this moment. Uh, And I feel the same can be said for another Stanley Kubrick film, Eyes Wide Shut. You get at the beginning of the film, they're at this extravagant Christmas party. So Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's characters, uh, their husband and wife, they're at this party hosted by, um, character played by Sidney Pollack. He, you know, big, massive mansion in New York City. I think it's New York anyway. Uh, and they um, they go to this party and it's all heavenly. A bit like Perth's Queen a You've got this dreamlike fantasy with all these Christmas lights, which are so out of focus and only the main characters of Tom Cruise and the Cole Kippen are in focus. You You can't really get distracted by anything in the background. You might get a few people surrounding them, but that's about it, really. You can't really say that you've lost anything in terms of the detail, even though you've blurred half the background out. That's the magic of cinematography, is creating a painting that focuses on something so much that it really brings you the same joy as anything but if you had it all in focus and you were trying to pay attention to every detail like in an actual painting whereas this painting is much more specific onto one part of the frame and the rest of it is all immaterial as it were uh but yeah so I would probably say stuff like Perks of Being a Wallflower uh, ladybird those ones have some of the best cinematography I know I mentioned on an episode before ladybird there was a nice uh, technique they used just blue like Light tube things and put them in the bottom of the swimming pool of the uh s- swimming pool scene with uh, Sasha Ronan's uh, Ladybird and uh, Timothy Chalamet. And they sit on the side of the pool, and you think, oh, maybe it's expensive lights or anything. No, it's quite cheaply done. And it's really effective because it gives that cool, mysterious effect. And that matches well with the character of Kyle, played by Timothy Chalamet. Lighting and The camera movement of any film can indicate its tone right from the offset. If you're hitting the ground running with like a slow pan over, a massive area of houses and a voiceover, you know you're going to be in for something that's quite weird and ethereal. But at the same time, you know it's going to be great and kind of mysterious. And you're going to be going for a a really cool journey, which the director is exposing you to through these... uh, fluid camera movements and in some cases really dark colors or bright colors and that's all i really have to say really on this obviously black and white last little note black and white films it would have had to rely a lot on the shadows but i suggest you check out my film noir episode for more stuff to do with the value of black and white film but at the same time your color black and white you know you've got that lovely bit of contrast between the sepia toned wiz- beginning of the wizard of oz and you get into the you know the color section and it's all bright and stark and colorful and i really do feel that cinematography is when it's good you do notice it but if it's really over the top then you'll notice it in majorly bad ways which you know you probably shouldn't be noticing um but that's all i have to say really on top of that one i would say for now i'm looking forward very much to the christmas special that's coming in the next episode i'm so excited to share it with you i've got govin chandran back on with me for that one i'm so excited it's been a labor of love and genuinely so excited to see what you guys make of it it's an hour-long special so sit yourselves in strap yourselves in and i'm just really excited to see how that turns out really in terms of what you guys think uh let me know on Instagram and Twitter what your favorite Christmas films are in pre- preparation for this, and I'll see you on the episode. Like I say, bumper one-hour episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Uh, so for now, that's a wrap on this cinematography little discussion episode of Tech 97, a film podcast, and I'll see you on the Christmas episode. Or if you're listening to this out of sync, I'll see you on the next episode, guys. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.